Awesome. I'm glad to be here with you guys. My name is Eric Swanson. I'm our Morris Campus pastor, and uh, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. We've got just a few seats available, so hopefully you guys all found a parking spot. It's been really cool to be packed in here the last few weeks. So uh, I'm excited about what is part two of a new series that we started last week that we're calling Mission, and uh, we're going through the book of Acts and seeing uh, how God worked and moved through the early church, the Acts church. And if it's something you've read before, you know, uh, don't give the person next to you any spoiler alerts, but uh, you, you know that God did some amazing things. Um, did anybody cut their grass yesterday? Nice, beautiful day, weekend. Anybody that was planning on cutting their grass this morning? Some of you guys are here right now because you're like, well, I guess I can't mow the yard. I guess I'll go to church this weekend. And so I'm, praise the Lord, he sent the rain so that you're here. And um, yeah, yesterday was a big moment in grass cutting for me because my daughter cut uh, the whole backyard. And so, you know, any grass I don't have to cut is, is a good thing. So some of you guys might be really particular and you need like crossing patterns and star patterns. And I don't know, you know, for me, it's just like it's long and it needs to be short again. So anybody else that can mow is good. So uh, now, she's mowed for several years. Most of my, my, all my kids, I get them pushing the mower at eight years old. So, like, they, as soon as they're just barely able, they can't start it, but if they can push it, I'm like, go, please don't chop your foot off. I don't care what kind of pattern, just make it all short. And so, but yesterday was the first day that she was on the riding mower, okay? So, we actually moved for a little while. We're living with my parents, and they've got all this property. And so, he's got this sweet mower. It, like, it costs more than my vehicle. And so, you know, as much as I want her to mow the grass, I've been scared to let her try. And so yesterday, we got her off mowing the grass, and she did a good job, and she's still alive, and she didn't, you know, damage the mower. And so that was like a big moment for me. I remember when we moved out there as a kid, I, I also started mowing when I could barely push the thing, and uh, I, was the, I was the push mower, you know. And then we moved out to this where they live now, and it's like three acres of grass, right? They don't have trees. There's no woods. It's just a lot of grass. And my dad's like, yep, and you'll be mowing this yard. And I'm like, oh, man, it's going to take like... Seven days, like once I get done mowing, I'll have to start back at the beginning again. <clears throat> and I had this feeling of overwhelmed amount of work. And then after a while, he tells me, you know, that he's actually buying this, this yard tractor that has this like four foot mower deck and it'll actually be able to go, you know, and do way more grass cutting than, than I could push mow. And I remember feeling this great sense of relief. First of all, I was pumped that I get to drive that thing. And then secondly, like that it wouldn't take seven days to mow. And so I don't know if you've ever had a feeling where you feel overwhelmed with how much work you have to do or with a certain project and maybe you've had a time where and then all of a sudden it's like but here's the tool that's going to make it all possible if you're in college maybe you got like the syllabus shock of the new semester and you see all the required reading or all the papers and projects that you have and you're like I don't know how I'm ever going to get this done and then maybe it's like but you find out it's group work and like it's going to be a little easier to take care of than all by yourself or but this is how I think the early church the apostles felt when Jesus told them, I'm going to use you guys, I'm going to send you out, I want you to go, and you're going to change the world. Can you imagine? You know, there's like 11 of them, and they're looking at each other, and I know all your faults and weaknesses, and you know, you saw me get angry yesterday, and we're like, we don't stand a chance, you know? And, and uh, this is what we looked at last week as we started this series. We were in Acts chapter 1, we talked about the mission being given, and we looked at this verse in verse 8 where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he says, I'm gonna use, you know, you're going to start here in your hometown and eventually you're going to change the world. 
And I'm imagining if I'm one of the apostles, I'm like, yeah, we don't know. You got the wrong 11 guys. You know, like, this is not happening. I don't know how this is going to happen. But what we're going to see today is that then all of a sudden he unveils the tool that's going to actually make it possible. Actually, in the same verse, before he says this, uh, at the beginning of uh, verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be able to be my witnesses and change the world. See, here's the thing. Jesus knew that these guys could not do it. He knew that these guys could not change the world. But he knew that they could do it, or he could do it, through them. And so he's like, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Then I'm going to use you guys to change lives, reach people, and change the world. Actually, a couple verses before this, I'll put this on the screen, but chapter 1 of Acts, verse 4, he says this. Do not leave Jerusalem. So if you hear last week, we talked about what Jesus wants us to do is to be a witness and to go. And, you know, we talked about he's ascending to heaven. He's like, go, I'm sending you out. But before he says to go, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's like, I want you to go. I'm going to use you to change, but don't go yet. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't leave this town. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's told them about this Holy Spirit before. And, and uh, he's referred to it. He's taught about it. And he's like, wait until you get it. Then, then go. Then be a witness. Then go into this town and the next. And then I'm going to use you to change the world. You can't do it on your own. But I can do it through you. And so today we're going to read in Acts chapter 2. So if you brought a Bible or if you brought a device that has the Bible on it, uh, open up with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, quite a bit of this chapter, this story. And this is the story of this Holy Spirit that he told them to wait for showing up for the first time. And it is an amazing, powerful story. And... um, I don't know if you've read this before or if you've heard about it before. Um, maybe you've heard it many, many times. But here's, here's what I hope for you, for each of us this morning, is that as we read this story about God's Spirit showing up and what He does through this power, that you will be inspired as we remember that His Holy Spirit is with us and inspired to go by the power of the Spirit and be a part of this mission that He's called us to be a part of. The same mission He started in the book of Acts the same church is carried on that he welcomes us to be a part of. And he says, I, have, I want you plugged in. I want you part of it. I want to use you to change the world. So I pray that you be inspired. So open up to Acts chapter 2. If you do have an uh, electronic device that has like 30 different versions, I'm going to be reading from the NLT. So if you want to like read the same one, you totally can. But they're all good. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start right at the beginning. Verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And real quick, Pentecost is like a holiday. It's a Jewish holiday that they celebrated. It was celebrating uh, way back when Moses was around when they went to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and they received the law from God. He gave them the commandments. He, you know, he came down. There was a cloud. There was fire and everything else. And, and uh, he, he gave the people the law. He, he said, you're going to be my people, this nation of Israel. And so then from there on out, they would celebrate this moment where they met God on the mountain. And, and, and uh, he started what we call the old covenant, that through this law, you would have a relationship with God, keeping these laws and these, and these festivals and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit's going to show up as they celebrate Pentecost. On the same day that he gave them the law and the old covenant, he's going to send them their Holy Spirit. 
which is the culmination of the new covenant that Jesus came. You know, Jesus came and he died in our place, a once and for all sacrifice, totally different than the old covenant. And the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom to say that you don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to enter into this special room. All believers will have access to God. It's a whole new thing. And so it's cool. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit, as they celebrate the the old covenant, the giving of the law, he's going to send their Holy Spirit. So verse 2. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, uh, all through the Old Testament, you'll see that wind and fire kind of represent God's presence with his people. There's several stories and and instances where they they know that they're following him or he's with them by fire and how he appears and things like this. And so uh, it's it's visibly and audibly evident here that that something's happened in in verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now this part right here in verse 4 where it says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is is huge. Because before this day, the Holy Spirit, all through the Old Testament, would come upon certain people for a certain reason, for a certain amount of time. And it wasn't given to just all people for all time. And then Jesus showed up, and he literally was indwelling the Spirit of God, fully God, fully man, and he taught in amazing ways, and he did these miracles, and he accomplished all these things, but the Spirit of God was really on him, and he would go to one place in, in one time because he chose to kind of confine himself into a human body for a while. But here it says that the Holy Spirit was given to everyone present. This is huge. And from here on out, this is how God works. In verse 5, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So because of this like tornado or whatever came in, this this mighty sound of wind, people are like running to this building where they're at like what is going on and when they get there they're all from different nations and all of a sudden they hear their individual language spoken by these by these guys that are all from this hometown and they're like whoa these guys don't speak i can't believe i'm hearing my native language spoke but it's not just that look at verse 11 says this and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that god has done okay these guys aren't just saying Hola, como esta? Like, that's the extent of my Spanish. When you go on a mission trip, they tell me, speak what you know. If you can say thank you, say thank you. You know, like, it, it, uh, just try to do, it, do what you can. It's not offensive. Like, like do what you can. And so there, that's more than that. These people are empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just to speak a language they've never spoken or maybe ever heard, but to explain deep truths about God in a way that's understandable to people that speak a different language. That's amazing. In verse 12, it continues, it says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Okay, so we've got this amazing miracle. The Holy Spirit comes, there's wind, there's fire, there's languages. People are coming to see what's happening. There's this huge crowd. There's this amazing scene. And then Peter stands up, and it's, what happens next is just really, really cool. Peter, one of the leaders of the early church, one of the apostles, he stands up, and he starts talking, and he gives this speech. He gives this sermon, and, and look what he says. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, 
Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Which, I just think it's so funny that that's his argument, right? <laughs> Almost like, hey, if it was nine at night, I'd give it to you. But I, I would have been like this, you know, because like you've heard of angry drunks or sleepy drunks. I've never heard of like amazingly empowered to speak a foreign language fluently drunk. Like that. And so I would think he would use a different argument. But he's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Give us a break, right? And so, but then he continues and, he, and look what he says. He says, no, what you see was actually predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes this Old Testament prophet who says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all these people. And then he continues. And in a moment of brilliance, as Peter is speaking to this audience of Jewish people from all nations, he starts with their heroes. And he quotes something that they have read, probably have memorized as they went to good Torah school or whatever they studied, in Bible, in, not Bible class, but Torah class. And, and so he starts with these guys that they know, and he says, Joel called it. You've heard this passage. Maybe you didn't understand. When Joel said that God said, I'll pour up my spirit, now you're seeing it happen. What he prophesied is happening, and you're so lucky that you get to see it. And, he's, and he actually quotes King David, another one of those heroes, and he starts to tell them about who Jesus really was, and that he really was the Savior of the world, and that he died, but he raised again, and that they need him, and that this whole Holy Spirit thing was part of God's original plan. We're going to pick back up in verse 32, okay? Peter's talking, and he says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this, because this had only happened like a couple months ago, okay? And Jesus has only been gone for a couple months. It's like, we literally are, we saw this. We didn't just hear about it. Now he, Jesus, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, just as he had promised, gave him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So then in the verse 36, he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? So here's this amazing thing. He, he's quoting Old Testament prophets, and he's talking about Jesus, and it says Peter's words pierced their hearts. And do you know why? It's not because Peter stayed up late studying and wrote a really great speech. It's because the Holy Spirit came upon Peter in power and used him to do amazing things. And they're like, you're exactly right. We never saw it this way. We heard about this, Jesus. We didn't believe before. And it pierces their hearts. In verse 38, after they ask him this question, Peter replies, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far away, to all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, typical pastor, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And verse 41 is awesome. Those who believed what Peter said and were baptized and added to the church that day were about 3,000 in all. What an amazing story. First, the Holy Spirit shows up for the very first time, and it's like a tornado, and people come running, and there's fire on people's heads, and they're speaking languages, and they're not just speaking languages, but they're declaring truths about God, and it's this amazing thing. And then Peter stands up, and he just starts talking, and somehow the Holy Spirit comes upon him and gives him the words to say and uses him in power, and 3,000 people believe in Jesus, are baptized, and added to the church. We, we celebrate a few new members this weekend, 
and we would not have enough certificates for 3,000 new members on one day, right? But 3,000 people are added to the church and believe in Jesus. This is amazing. One, one other quick interesting thing that this happened on Pentecost. At Pentecost originally, when, at Mount Sinai, when, Jesus came, or when God came down, met with Moses, gave them the law, what happened was like instantly the people turned their hearts on God and, and broke covenant with God. And what happens is 3,000 of them die as punishment. But here on Pentecost, as they celebrate being God's people, instead of following the law, he gives them his spirit. And instead of 3,000 people dying, 3,000 people are saved. That's just a neat kind of parallel right there. But anyways, 3,000 people become believers in one day. I mean, the church wasn't even that big to begin with, and now it's like just huge. This is, I'm like, that is some message that Peter preached. Like, way to go, Peter. That was really well done. But it wasn't Peter. It was the Holy Spirit. Because God said, don't go and do this on your own, but when I give you the Holy Spirit, then you'll have power, and I can work through you. So here's what I want us to see. The Acts church was Holy Spirit empowered. As you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that these guys teach in power like Jesus did. And he uses them to do miracles and bring deliverance like he did for Jesus. And what's really cool is if you think about it, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gives these 11 guys and like some of their moms and wives and a few other people, and he says, you guys are going to change the world. And if I'm one of them, I'm like, I doubt it, you know? <laughs> and uh, 2,000 years later, here we are on a Sunday morning worshiping that same God. And we speak a different language than they spoke. And we live on a different continent of the earth. And they didn't have airplanes back then. And it's like, they did it. They didn't do it, but God did it through them. And right now around the world, people are worshiping this same God in different languages, in all different countries, because he was actually able to use this small group of believers to do an amazing work and change the world. And this is the same mission that he invites you and I into. But the early church, the Acts church, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit showed up, this was a game changer. This empowered them to do amazing ministry. It wasn't because God, you know, Jesus chose like the right 11 guys. It's because the 11 guys got empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what he can do through someone whose life has turned on to him, no one can limit. The other thing to think about is this. Jesus was Holy Spirit empowered. This sounds weird when you think about it because, you know, we think about Jesus and he's like the son of God and he did these miracles and he taught with all this authority. But as you read the Gospels, it talks about how Jesus' ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, we, we serve a God and it's hard to describe and hard to understand, but our God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each individual, each person's of one God. And I, my mind doesn't quite get that, but I believe that it's true. And that same spirit was there at creation, and that same spirit was there working through Jesus, and then given to the early church. Jesus' ministry was Holy Spirit empowered. I want to show you a verse here in, in the book of Mark. And actually, all the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the guys that kind of record the story of Jesus, they all share this story where Jesus was baptized. And it's kind of funny because there's this guy, John the Baptist, Jan, John the Baptist, and he's baptizing some people, and Jesus gets in line. And then John's like, dude, like I, you should be baptizing me. you know." And Jesus is like, this is right. This is what should happen. And so he gets baptized. And look what happens. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. 
And we see the baptism of Jesus really marking the beginning of his ministry, of his public ministry. And it's just like in Acts. You see it. They could hear it. They see heaven torn open. I don't know exactly what it looked like. They could hear this voice, and they see that the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus, and it was empowering his ministry to do and say and accomplish all those things. So the Acts church was Holy Spirit empowered. Jesus' ministry was Holy Spirit empowered. But what's really cool is you and I are Holy Spirit empowered too. We are Holy Spirit empowered. Empowered. I want to put this verse back up that we read earlier in Acts 2. But as Peter is talking to the crowd and he says, you need to come to put your faith in Jesus and repent and be baptized and become part of the church. What he says is when you believe in Jesus, in verse 38, he says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those who are far away, to all who have been called by the Lord our God. This promise is for you today and for me today, that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus since Acts chapter 2, they get the whole salvation package, right? I always kind of think of it like a, like a used car salesman. Like, what do I got to do to get you to believe in Jesus today, right? And like, I might write it all down on a piece of paper and slide it across the table so you can read it. Because if I just told you, it doesn't sound as good. I don't know. But like, they get, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get eternal life, right? You get forgiveness of sins. You get rightness with God. You also get the gift of the Holy Spirit that he empowers you. He indwells in you, that every believer. There was this time where before Jesus left, he was talking with his disciples, and he's like, listen, it's actually better if I leave. And they're like, how is that better? Like the Son of God walking on earth, talking to people, healing people. If he leaves earth, how is that better? And the reason is, because as powerful as Jesus' ministry was, as God powered him to do things, he said, when I leave, I will send to you the counselor, the, the helper, my Holy Spirit. And he will be in all believers at all time. So that everywhere anyone goes, they're going with God and they are empowered to do amazing things for him. And that's way better than one guy walking around and, and doing some amazing things. we got to remember that we are Holy Spirit empowered. And when you put your faith in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus today, if there was a time where you gave your life to God, you asked God to come into your life, your heart, however you said it, that you believe in Jesus, I want you to realize you have his spirit living in you. Okay? Think about this. It was so clear that like with the wind, you know, tornado and the fire and the languages, it was so clear that that was the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, who not long ago had denied Jesus three times and had totally fallen and failed, stands up and gives the greatest sermon and 3,000 people. It's so clear that that wasn't Peter. That was the Holy Spirit. But what's really cool for me to think about is it wasn't just the Holy Spirit, you know, doing the language thing. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit working on Peter. It was the Holy Spirit working on all 3,000, each one of those people who believed. And for me, if I ever try to attempt something that I feel like God's calling me to, to preach a message, to invite someone to church, little things, big things, you know, volunteer with junior high ministry, whatever it is. If you try to do something, so often we feel like this pressure to really do it right. You know, I'm gonna, if I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, i got to close the deal. Like, if they're not on their way to heaven when I'm done, then I failed, right? Do you guys feel this pressure? Like, oh, I better really, I better do it right. I better wait for the right moment. Better buy them flowers first or whatever you're going to do. And, uh, it takes the pressure off when you're like, it wasn't Peter who did such a great job. He was just an instrument, and the Holy Spirit did the work. And even cooler than that is the Holy Spirit was working in each one of these 3,000 people's hearts at the exact same time. So when you volunteer in a ministry or invite someone to church or actually share Jesus with someone, you can trust that God will work through you and that God can work in their life too. 
One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does for us, there's lots of them, one of them is that he convicts us of our sin, which sounds weird, like, thanks a lot for making me feel convicted, right? But until you realize that you have a sin problem, you don't realize that you need a Savior. And conviction of our sins is what leads us to rightness with God when we get that. And so the, the Holy Spirit is working through Peter as he speaks, and it's working through in, in the hearts of all 3,000 people to help them realize that they need this Jesus, and 3,000 people get saved. Here's the thing. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to accomplish whatever it is that God calls us to. Just like the Acts church, (laughs) Jesus is like, don't go do it on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Then I'm going to use you guys to change the world. We desperately need, and, and really in two ways, as individuals and as a church. So for you, if you're a believer in Jesus, he has ideas of ministry for you to do. People that will come to know God and have a relationship for eternity because of you, your example, you being a witness, you, you know, serving in, in whatever way that you God has plans to use you, but you can't do it on your own. You desperately need his spirit to empower you and to work in the lives of everyone who, you know, just to, like the, we're commanded to become holy as our father is holy, to, to love one another, for you to love your family well, to live rightly, to fight sin, to be a witness for God. You need the Holy Spirit to do that. You can't do a good job on your own, and neither can I. As a church, we so desperately need God's Spirit. Because as much as we can put on our fancy clothes and come on Sundays and we got a great band and you know, do everything we possibly can, on our own, we, we don't love each other that well. On our own, we will not reach our community that well. We are planting a new church in Morris. And as much as we can talk to smart people and read books and have meetings and plan in advance, on our own, we want to you know, start a church that's going to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. On our own, we cannot succeed. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to show up to empower our ministry and to show up and whoever else comes that they would actually respond to God because he's working in their lives. And so it kind of takes the pressure off that I can't do it, so I'm just going to try to be the best instrument I can for the Holy Spirit to work. But man, we desperately, desperately need that. So here's my question. What are you attempting for God that cannot succeed without the Holy Spirit? What are you working on or trying or thinking about that requires God to show up? Because you know what? Without God, we could still have amplifiers making music. And, and, you know, but like, what are we doing that like, this won't happen? Like, this won't succeed unless God shows up. Think about Peter. I don't know what was going through his mind as people are thinking they're drunk and he's confused. And, and he's like, these people watch me deny Christ. And you know, all these things are going through his mind. And, but he's like, I, I feel like I should just say something so he starts talking you know i don't think he planned it but the holy spirit comes on him and he gives this amazing speech and three thousand people get saved i imagine later they're like high-fiving each other and they're like that was crazy can you believe that you know the the one one guy's like yeah when peter said something i figured we were all in trouble you know but like it worked because the holy spirit was a part of it and we need that holy spirit to be part of like what are we going to try to do and i'm not saying to make up things and like i'm just going to see if god shows up but like if you feel ever like god is asking you to be a part of the Morris Church, to volunteer here in one of the ministries, to tell your neighbor about God, to invite a friend to church, whatever it is, little or big, that when you feel like, I think this is what God wants me to do, that when you, you say, okay, God, but I can't do it. I can't save her soul. I can't get him to church. I can't, you know, lead a teenager to Christ, but you can do it through me. What I want to do is, um, I want to remind you of something that's so cool, the way the Apostle Paul says this. So, not long after Jesus left, you know, the Apostle Paul's writing letters to churches that he started, and he's reminding them of things that we still need to be reminded of today. And in Romans chapter 8, he says this to a group of Christians. He says, 
The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now that's huge. Now what's cool to think about is he's telling them this has only been a few years since Jesus left. And like the church is still kind of a new thing. It hasn't been 2,000 years yet. And they already kind of forget that they got the Holy Spirit. And so he's trying to remind them. And he's trying to inspire them. And then we, God saves this letter so that the same guy can give us the same message and remind us and inspire us that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in each of us. Not like a mini small part of it. Not a baby dose. The same Spirit that powerfully raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And not just so you can feel good or brag about it, but so that God can use you to reach more people, that God can use you to do things you could never do on your own, that God could use us to change the world. That's why. And I think we just need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. My question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead actually is inside of you? Like, that's so mind-boggling when you think about it. Maybe a better question is, do you act like it? Do you live your day-to-day life in a way that's like, I am believing that God is with me, not just in a little way, but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and with me so that he can empower me to do amazing things for him. And I'm not trying to say we should all feel guilty and like, well, I'm such a terrible person and I don't act like that. What are we doing in our lives that says, all right, God, I'm going to follow you on this one and you better show up because I cannot do it on my own. Imagine what your family would look like if you lived that way your relationships, your, your work relationships, you know, all the places at school, wherever you go, and every day of your life, because we get so distracted by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it's not that we doubt that God is real or that God loves us, we just kind of forget, and so Paul's reminding us, don't forget, in a powerful way, God is with you, and his spirit empowers you. I want to talk, as we finish up, how do we actually do this? And I, I want to say two ways. One, I think, is in a way that we pray, And another is something that real simply we can do, okay? So first of all, when you pray, if you pray, uh, I know for me, for a lot of Christians, we're really good at praying to God. You know, dear God, uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, whatever we call him, we direct our prayer, which is good. We are told to pray to God. He's described as our Father, and that's a really good thing to do. Sometimes we'll pray to Jesus. You'll hear people say, dear Jesus, and and that's not bad either. You know, he's described as our, our friend, our brother, and he intercedes for us. He's sitting in heaven, you know, having a conversation about you right now with God. That's pretty cool. But how often do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Because he is very real. In fact, he is in you. So we can pray to God the Father, we can pray to God the Son, but we can pray to God the Holy Spirit. And you can say, Holy Spirit, please be with me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Whatever you would pray for from God the Father, you can ask the Spirit because that's the way that God is working through your life anyways. And when we pray that way, first of all, I think it's, it's effective. But secondly, I think it trains our minds and our hearts to just be more aware that His Spirit is with us. And that's going to affect the way we live. Or instead of praying to the Holy Spirit, pray for the Holy Spirit. When you talk to God the Father, say, Heavenly Father, please give me more of your Spirit. Please help me remember that you are with me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. We see uh, people in the Bible pray like this. David prayed like this all the time. He would beg God, give me your Spirit. Please go with me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? So you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can pray for the Holy Spirit. And I think that's an effective prayer. But I also know it will train your mind and your heart to be more aware that God's Spirit is in you, empowering you. What we can do is real simple. The best way to practice is whatever, if ever, you've had a moment where you feel like, I think God's 
talking to me. I think God's getting my attention. I think the Holy Spirit's like nudging me or, you know, prompting is a good church word or whatever. You know, like if you've ever had one of those moments, if you've heard somebody else say that, and sometimes it's confusing. You're like, I don't know if this is my own idea or if, this, or if God's telling me. What I want to say is lean into it. Go after it. Just do it. And it might be a scary thing. It might be something big. It might be a lot of times it's really small, right? Like I feel like I should write her an encouragement note. I feel like I should pray for somebody. Maybe pray right there for somebody, with them. You know, like little things where you're like, I feel like I should do this. Go for it, you know? Like whatever it is that you feel like God is speaking to you, nudging you towards, moving you towards, first check it with Scripture. God's never going to tell you to do something that's totally against his will. Nothing sinful, you know, like that's not how God works. But when he's telling you to do something and it's just like an act of kindness or something simple or maybe to get involved here some way and you're like kind of fighting it and nervous about it, I want to say just go for it. And the more you show God that you are open-hearted and obedient, the more he will speak and the more you'll train yourself to be aware of it. The worst thing that can happen, you know, if you're like, oh, maybe that's my own idea and it wasn't God. And, and you, the worst thing that happens is you prayed for somebody, right? Or you did something kind or you sent a note of encouragement. But maybe, just maybe, it is the Holy Spirit leading you. Just like Peter, and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I feel like God wants me to start talking. I'm going to tell these people about Jesus. And boom, 3,000 people get saved. When you lean into the Holy Spirit's promptings, he can use you to do amazing things, things that you cannot do on your own. And so I want to say, lean into whatever you feel like God's calling you. For me, I've had times where it's like, I can't really tell if it's God or not. Have you ever had one of those moments? Like, is this my own guilty conscience? Did I make this up? Here's a really stupid example. But uh, a few years ago, I, I was a youth pastor, and so it's like 10.30 at night. I locked up the church. I was walking out of the building by myself, and I threw a piece of gum in my mouth, and uh, I'm rolling up like the wrapper. And now this is Trident gum. So like, you know, like the paper that's so thin you can see through it and it's only this big to begin with. And so when you ball it up, like it's microscopic. And so here I am, I walk out of the building. I was gonna throw it in the garbage can, but the garbage can that usually there is gone. I just locked the building. So I was like, no big deal in my mind. I'm just gonna flick it, you know, under the sidewalk because it's a tiny little trident wrapper. And in, the, in this moment, I felt like God was like, why are you gonna litter on my property, right? <laughs> and I was like, Come on, God, it's a trident wrapper. It'll be disintegrated by the time it hits the ground, you know? And then I was like, God, I don't even know if that's you. Maybe that's just my guilty conscience, right? Like, my mom told me not to litter, and I'm, now I'm, what's the difference? And so I was like, all right, God, I don't know if that's you or not, but I won't litter on your property. So I got in my car, and I start driving, and I start rolling my window down. Because as soon as I'm not on God's property, I'm throwing that sucker out the window. <laughs> this is an embarrassing true story. And again, I felt like God starts arguing with me and being like, well, then why would you litter anywhere? You know, like the whole earth is mine and who are you? And I'm like, okay, so I put my window up and I start talking to God and I'm like, God, I don't know if this is you or not, but just in case this is you, I'm going to drive home holding this stupid gum wrapper and when I get home, I'll put it in the garbage like a good boy. And when I did, angels showed up and a song happened. No, nothing happened. I tried to tell Cherry how I didn't litter, and I thought she'd be all proud of me, you know, and she didn't even care. But the worst that can happen is you don't litter, right? Like, if you feel like God's, sometimes it's hard to know, like, is this my own guilty conscience? Is this my own? Am I making up this idea? Does God really want me to do this for her? Does, really, does he really want me? Well, I say give it a try, because if it's something that could honor God anyways, you can't do any wrong. And if it's God, you never know what he's going to do through you when you lean in to the Holy Spirit's calling in your life. 
At our house, my rule is the kids can go play. There's a park not too far away where we used to live. They can go there, you know, hang out with their friends. And the rule is you can go as far as you want as long as you come home when I whistle. And if you can't hear me whistle, it's your own fault, okay? This is like how to raise a child in 1930, and we still do it, okay? <laughs> so I got a pretty good whistle, and so they know. Listen for dad's whistle, and they run home, which I love. Like, I just told them they had to come home. My boys, they, they like to run, so when they hear me whistle, they usually run home. And there's been a handful of times where I'm sitting, like, outside or in my living room, and all of a sudden, my boys come running in, they throw the door open, and like, <laughs> Dad, did you whistle? And I'm like, feel really bad. You know, I'm like, I did not whistle. You know, I've, you can go back. They're probably like in the middle of a kickball pitch and they didn't even say goodbye to their friends. They just vanished, right? But in that moment, you know how I feel as their dad? I feel so honored that they want to obey me. I'm so proud of them. That warms my heart so much. And that's how it can be if you just say, God, I'm going to try my hardest to follow everything that you say, little or big. And if it's my own guilty conscience, at least you'll know. You can be proud of me. I want to be the kind of Jesus follower that honors God and just says, I am ready for you to speak. And I am willing to obey if it's as small as a gum wrapper or if it's some kind of big ministry thing. Because when it's the Holy Spirit, I trust you to show up in huge ways. And if not, I want you to know that I love you enough to do whatever I think you might have said. Does that make sense? Man, as a dad, I love when that happens. And as your heavenly father, he loves when we follow him and obey that kind of way. I want to wrap up with one last uh, quick story. This one just happened a couple of months ago right here uh, outside of our church. But uh, So like the beginning part of this year, uh, you know, the whole little bit of the story is I started having these conversations with this church about maybe coming and joining the staff and starting a church in Morris. And the whole idea was like, wow, that, that could be really cool, and that's kind of exciting. But I was a pastor already, and our kids were going to school, and we loved our church, and everything was going well. And so as I started having conversations with, you know, like a search team from here and your pastors and the leadership from here, I was also having a lot of conversations with God and just like, God, is this what you want? Like, I could see that being a cool, exciting thing, but like, I don't want to leave here if this is where you have, if this is where you called me. How do I know when it's time to leave? I felt like you wanted me to be a pastor here. And so I remember just really wrestling with this in prayer, like, God, you need to make it clear because how, how do I just make this choice? And almost getting frustrated as months go by and conversations get more serious, and I felt like I don't have a good answer. I could go either way. I'm really waiting for God on this one. And I remember there was a moment where I felt like God spoke to me one morning and he said, I will give you that clarity. And like, he didn't tell me what it was going to, I still didn't have my answer, but I just felt better about it, you know, like, oh, good. Like, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm, I'm just waiting. He's going to make it clear. He, he, I felt like God gave me that peace in that. So uh, a few, uh, like a week or two later, I was actually here to preach for the weekend as a candidate. And I still feel like this could work out, but I don't have an answer from God yet. I hated that feeling. And after one of the services, a lady who goes to church here, who I barely knew, I might have met once, she'd never met my wife, she came up to me after church and she's like, hey, um, this is weird, but as I was sitting right here in the, in the chair, I felt like God gave me a message and I'm supposed to tell you, uh, do you want to hear it? <laughs> and what am I supposed to be like, no, keep that to yourself, you know? <laughs> I, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to hear it. And... Uh, She's like, okay, I, and she talked about how I kind of argue with God because it feels silly and I don't know you and I've never really done this before, but I, I feel like God wants me to do this and so I'm just going to tell you. And so she said, I feel like God gave me a message. It was one word. The word is yes. I feel like God wants me to tell you that he says yes. Don't know what that means. See you later. The whole conversation was less than a minute. 
And in her mind, she had no idea what was happening or what the Holy Spirit was up to. She was just being obedient. But as I processed that and talked to my wife about that and took that to God in prayer, we felt like that was one of a few things that he was giving us that promised clarity. Where We were like, should we leave our church? Should we do this? Should we uproot our family? Should we go for this? We really want you to speak. And he spoke through somebody. And she didn't even realize what she was doing. She's like, I think this is what God wants. I felt really clear. I didn't really want to do it. I'm sorry this is weird, but I've got to tell you. And we were like blown away at how God would work. And so I got a chance to tell her, her name is Ruth, and I was like, you don't know what you said, but this was, a, this was a really cool moment from us for God. And when you lean into what God's calling you to, his Holy Spirit can empower you to do things that you can't do on your own. And maybe, just maybe, you'll stand up someday and 3,000 people will get saved, but not because you're so smart, but because God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And the same mission that he started in Acts 2 with the early church is still going until Jesus comes back, and he wants us to be a part of it. So here's how I want to close today. I want to uh, pray. I, I I'd invite you to stand up. And uh, what, the way I want to pray is um, I want to read another one last verse, and this is uh, in the book of Ephesians. Paul's writing a letter to a church, to a group of believers, and he's telling them, like, hey, how's it going? You know, how's your mom? Or you know, like, how you would write a letter? But he's like, hey, I'm, I'm always praying for you guys. And he tells them how he prays for this church. So I want to steal this prayer. I want to pray it for us today, okay? And I want you, so we're going to read, the, I'll read this out loud, and we're going to make this our prayer. So Heavenly Father, I pray also that we will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So Heavenly Father, as we stand here today, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place, to fill our hearts, to move in our hearts, to speak to us. God, as we go this week, pray that you would um, keep us in tune to what you're up to. God, we just proclaim the truth that the same Spirit that the Acts church was used, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us today so that you can empower us to be part of what you're doing. God, we thank you for inviting us to be a part of your mission to reach people for Jesus, to change the world. So Heavenly Father, I pray that this week, every time we feel like we hear you, that we would just follow, that you'd be honored by our obedience and that you would empower us to do great things because your Holy Spirit wants to use us. So give us the ability to hear and the courage to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. We will be back next week for Acts and Mission Part 3. We'll see you then.